everything we do should be to honor him. Um, I'm going to be sharing with you this morning from Matthew chapter 6. Um, Jesus makes some pointed statements in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's a great read. Uh, early on, he gets into the Beatitudes. I'm going to mention one of them in just a moment. But uh, toward the end of chapter 6, he gives a statement. And I think we just kind of run through some of these statements like, well, what, what, what does that look like when we, when we put that to, to practice, when we put this to use? And the statement is in verse 33, and it's this. Um, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Um, of course, I memorized out of the King James, so it's kind of hard to get away from that. But that was to put in the framework the things that he is talking about leading up to that, things we worry about, things that we care about tomorrow, our, bus- our busyness. Um, things we're facing, and he talks about all of these things that kind of grab our attention, and he says, wait a minute. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added to you. And sometimes we put the emphasis on, and all these other things will be added unto you, but the first priority of our lives should be to seek his kingdom and to seek his righteousness, and they're related, but they're not one and the same. There's, there's this first priority is what he's saying. Your first priority in life is to seek God's right to rule and govern in our lives. And also this thing called the righteousness of God. The very first mention in the, of righteousness is in Genesis 15. And uh, it goes like this. That Abraham believed God and it was credited to him, are counted to him, are put to his ledger as righteousness. Now, get this. Abraham did not have any scripture. He didn't have anything to go by other than that God was talking to him directly. And God was calling him out of a, a very uh, populous area. The, the, the uh, Mesopotamian Valley was where all of the, the wonders and everything was at. And he called him to go in in a middle of a desert, God tells him, look around, this is yours. This is, I'm giving you this. I don't know if it's across his mind, says, this, this is what you're giving, there's nothing there. Beersheba was in the middle of the Negev desert, and there was nothing there, and God was saying, but he knew that God had called him to leave the comforts of where he was at, the, the vastness of his life had already been lived. And as an older man, he heard God call. And it says this. Moses is writing this years later. That Abraham believed God and God said you're righteous for that. Now, I don't know about you, but we try a lot harder to be righteous before God than that. Because it just seems too easy, right? That you believe God and God just credits you with righteousness. You know, I, I know the kingdom of God is, is um, expressed in different ways throughout the Bible. But early in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, Blessed are you that hunger and thirst... Is it righteousness? Same word. 
you will be filled. So what does this look like? What is righteousness, the kind of righteousness that God does in our lives that he wants us to pursue? And this is the title of this message, is Pursuing Righteousness. He said, this is what you should seek after. Seeking has this idea of reaching, hungering, thirsting. And he even said, blessed are those who do that. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The word righteousness in Hebrew really means to come to a place of what God expects of us. To come to a place of, of a standard that he wants you and I to be at. And, and all through the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, it talks about this righteousness. You're very familiar with uh, Proverbs 14, verse 33, 33 or 34. But um, we quote this many times, and sometimes we quote it, and it's really kind of like fitting the civil leaders. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproof or sin condemns many a people. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And we read that and we kind of think of the national leadership, right? Is that what we typically think of, how things are going? To be honest with you, I don't even know if we ever have had a born-again believer occupying the White House. It probably have, but it just, uh, and I know that I voted for one back in 1976. It said he was a born-again believer, but it's like, ugh. You know, as those four years rocked on, I wondered, uh, it's one thing to say it. And, of course, he became famous because he gave an interview to Playboy magazine. So there again was, like, what, what, what's going on here? And, and I would hope that somebody who's lived in that place really has experienced the redemptive work of Christ in their heart. But we ought to at least pray that they will. But I don't think that verse applies who is the leader of a country. That righteousness exalts a nation. I think maybe it goes a lot further than who's in leadership. You know what I think? I think it might include us. I think it might include like the temperament of a nation with the people. And Israel had times where the people of God was committed to him, worshipped him, and then they had times where they would drift off into idolatry and they had these ebb and flow of sometimes they were walking with God and God would bring judgment and they would repent and then they would have these seasons of being passionate for God and all of a sudden it just kind of none of that happens to us by the way we don't have any ebb and flows in our lives I think no we know better we have these ups and downs our focus our energy we have passion just like I think they got back from deeper all fired up it's just really, if you could like put that something in a bottle and just kind of drink on that for the rest of the year. But I believe he's saying to us that this should be a daily pursuit of our lives. To pursue the kingdom of God and his righteousness. These things are on opposite sides. Righteousness exalts a nation, but what's the other side of that? Sin is a reproach to any people. So when he says pursue righteousness he's really also saying be aware of the traps around you that bring you into any sense of doing things outside of the will of God it doesn't have to be a sin of uh, commission it could be a sin of omission 
Because the Bible speaks to that, right? That whatever is not of faith is sin. And we have some things in Romans where people like to really get down into nitty-gritty about what you're eating and what you're doing. And, and we've, some of us have lived in a culture before to where it's just wrong to about do anything except breathe. And so we reduce righteousness to this regimentation, and, and it doesn't seem like that's what Jesus is talking about, does it? That we to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things. Sin is reproach. Sin condemns. Sin enslaves. Sin will destroy people's lives, and it's happening all the time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I didn't give these verses but if you want to put it up there, Shane, it's verses 15 through 19. What would, what would it look like in our lives if we're just pursuing the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God and it's happening? And I think we kind of get an idea in our daily lives where we really feel and sense the presence of God. And, and he's kind of captured our imagination and captured our minds and captured our focus. And we have these, this season of just refreshing Amen? You know what I'm talking about? It's just God just drenches us with his presence. And somewhere along the line, we start being pulled away from all of that. And we start getting our minds and things like on a virus and stuff like that. And just kind of like, instead of just worshiping the Lord, we're just following every little bit of news. And it seems like it starts capturing everything about us. And this is our challenge today. But what would it look like? I think when Paul writes these words, this is what it looks like when he's captured our heart. That we've sought his kingdom, we have sought his righteousness, and I think it, I think it would look something like this. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. In other words, payback is not on our list when the righteousness of God that includes when people cut you off on McFarland Boulevard, all right? I know I'm not the only driver that has problems with that. But always pursue what is good both for yourself and for all. Pursue what is good for yourself and for other people. Here's some brief words, but they're loaded with the presence of God. Rejoice always. Be a joyful person. Amen. Be happy. At least try to be happy. But I don't think that we can manufacture happiness. I believe it comes as an outgrowth of God's presence working in our lives. That we're seeking his face. We're seeking his presence. We, we're listening to him. We love him. We sing. You know, one of the things about A.W. Tozer when he talks about the knowledge of the holy and the purpose of man... He was all into singing hymns, and one of the things he railed against was these new choruses that had very little foundation in them. I think he would have loved that last song we just did. I think he would have said, I wish I had written that. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. Rejoice always. 17, verse 17, pray without ceasing. Continually be in communion with the Lord. In 18, in everything give thanks. Now, that is not an easy thing to do. But it can be done when we're seeing things from his perspective. That we know that no matter how bad things are getting around us, that he is attending 
to the people of God that are calling on him. He is watching us. He has never taken his eyes off of us. You know, the, the thing that I think hurts us is when we begin to translate what we feel as to what he's doing. That we don't feel the presence of God. We're just kind of like in this funk, you might say. And, and uh, we just wonder, where, where are you, Lord? Where, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. And, and the truth is, he never takes his eyes off of us. He never. Jesus, what did Jesus say? I am with you, not most of the time. I'm with you all the time. In the darkest, shadowy places you'll ever walk. His truth needs to ring out. And this is why it's really possible that in everything we give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And it goes into this. Do not quench the spirit. Receive what the Holy Spirit's activity is. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Even the appearance of what something is wrong is evidence that we are really in communion with Him when we don't want to be anywhere close to what even comes in any way appearing as wrong. Paul told believers in Rome when he was in chapter 14, when he's dealing with how offending people and the stronger person and the weaker person, he goes through all of these scenarios. And one of the things he talks about is don't let your good be evil spoken of. Now, how in the world could that happen? It could happen when we want to take our good and use it as a hammer on other people. That what we, the idea we have might be a good idea. It might be a good a trait of what we need to be about. But it just comes across as being judgmental. Now we can do that. We can come across like that, right? In John chapter 16, Jesus tells them, he said, I'm leaving you, but I'm not going to leave you without a helper. I'm going to send the comforter, the parakletos, the one who is going to come alongside and he's going to take over from where I leave off. And this is what he said. Think, think about this. He says, when the spirit of truth has come, he will convict the world of three things. You remember him? He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And then he gives the backdrop to all of those. He said, the Holy Spirit will come and convict the world of sin because they don't believe. You cannot, you and I cannot have the righteousness of God apart from faith. It is a faith journey. Abraham was declared righteous not because he was, his life was all shored up without any problems. You could ask Sarah when we get to heaven, what did she think about the twice times he, he pondered off on somebody else? He was not, he had plenty of faults, but when he believed the Lord jumped on that and says, you're righteous. Not because you're doing everything right. In your heart, you have become a righteous man. And he says, because you believed. When we believe, just we're sitting in this room here. And we're either believing or like, I don't know about that. I, I'll be honest with you, there's times I've listened to preaching and I was like, I don't know about that. 
And I remember hearing Carl Strader say something one time. I said, I don't believe that. And I actually, here I am, a first-year Bible college student, and I think I know more than Pastor Strader. And I turned to 1 Corinthians 14, and lo and behold, it was right there, right there in black and white, <laughs> what he was saying. And here I am thinking, I don't believe that. And like, yeah, I guess I can believe that. I must believe that. And that is where we kind of link what we're hearing and reading God's word with evidence of it, the fruit of it in our lives. And then he says he will convict the world of righteousness. And then he tells why. And here it is. Isn't it interesting? Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And here's the Holy Spirit dealing with those two things. He will convict the world of sin because they don't believe. And he'll convict the world of righteousness for this reason. Because I won't be here for them to see an example of righteousness. They will need to hear and see from God himself what righteous living is all about without someone showing them the way. God will replicate in our lives what Jesus was trying to teach these men. And even in this same setting, in chapter 16, he said this to men that he had been training for over three years. He said, you know what? There's a lot more I would like to tell you, but you can't take it. That's with him being with them for three and a half years. There was things he says, you can't handle what I want to give you, but the Holy Spirit will give it to you when I'm gone. And he was telling them, I'm not going to really be absent. There's going to be someone right behind me revealing these things to you, revealing what sin is all about, revealing what righteousness is all about, and revealing what judgment is all about because the prince of this world has already been judged. I think sometimes we give the devil way too much credit for what's going on and way too much accolades because he's a fallen being, a fallen angel, and he cannot be omnipresent. And we think he is because we rebuke him all the time. <laughs> but here it is. He's like, the, judge, the judgment has already fallen upon this evil one who is not our problem. Our problem is our own capacity to believe. Jeremiah, and I'll finish up with this on Jeremiah. Jeremiah was toward the tail end of Judah's history. And, and he was called the weeping prophet because people didn't like him. Um, and he didn't like them, really. And God was calling him to preach to people who didn't like, you're depressing us. Preach to us something good, something positive. He says, I'm sorry, we're, we're nearing the end of a nation. And that army that's camped outside this city, they're going to conquer you. And they says, we don't like your preaching. You're not preaching good things to us. We want to hear some good things. And in the midst of this, he says this, this is in chapter 23. He said, but, in verse 5, God, is the Lord is going to, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise up to David a branch of righteousness. 
that Jesus is this branch of righteousness. A king shall reign. There's the kingdom of God and, and the righteousness of God right in the person of Jesus. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. He says Jesus is going to be the source. That's going to happen one day. He's going to arrive in this land. And in the days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. And this is his name by which he shall be called, Jehovah Titzkanu, the Lord our righteousness. I was somewhat conflicted about this message, to be honest with you. I was, um, I really wasn't sure about what all to touch on because of what God needs to reveal himself to us about. But I believe, in a way, I think the pulpits of America has kind of failed the church in some way. And not identifying the dangers of sin. And just avoiding things because we don't want to offend anyone. And we don't want, to, we don't want anybody to, to feel like they're being judged. And all of a sudden, we kind of like maybe shied away from talking about abortion. Shied away about talking about same-sex marriage. And all these things that is a reproach to any people. Because these are sins. And Henry Nowen that wrote a, a lot of books, and, and, and I remember Ravi Zacharias dealing with this when someone came up and asked him in a college campus, can a gay person be a Christian? And it was very interesting to hear. I, I was just waiting to see how Ravi Zacharias said that. He said, well, people have different temptations in their lives. And just being tempted to do something is not a sin. And he mentioned Henry Nowen, who was this incredible man of deep theological thought. And I, I have some books that he's written. It's like getting close to God. And toward the end of his life, he became sick. He revealed that he, in his life, he had had same-sex attractions. And this is what he said. But for the sake of Christ, I laid them down. For the sake of my relationship with Jesus, I laid them down. And Ravi Zacharias said the same thing is true. Some people may have a draw to promiscuity. But he says you can be a Christian even though you're tempted to do things that are wrong or sinful. If you, for the sake of Christ, will sacrifice that to him. And all of a sudden, we don't have to rail against sin. We have to really encourage people that righteousness is greater than sin. God doing a righteous act in our lives frees us from this draw, this pull into sin. And our nation is going in a direction that's concerning. Years ago, and, you know, I, I, I was... I did a picket a few times, um, a hospital in Jacksonville that we found out was performing abortions and a right-to-life group I was a part of, and we, we called attention to what was happening in that hospital. And, and one day, the convenience store down from the church we were pastoring, I realized I had introduced Hustler and Playboy and all kinds of magazines, and I walked in, and I knew the people very well, and they knew our pastor just down from there, and I says, what's going on here? He says, well... The company that, that owns this put these in here. I said, well, we're going to pick it. <laughs> and I guess I was a picket person. And so I announced the church, 
I said, anyone who wants to help me pick it was in a, a retired insurance salesman in the church, bless his heart, felt sorry for me. And me and him was out there picketing that pornography destroys women's lives. We had signs up, just the two of us. We had people honking their horns, and we had people gesturing to us as they went by, telling us we were number one. And, uh, you know, after about 30 minutes or so, the, the, the lady that was manager, I knew her well, she come out and she said, this is, this is just, I can't take this anymore. I've removed everything off the racks and says, if I lose my job, I lose my job. I can't. And she made a step of faith and she didn't lose her job and they removed permanently those magazines. And I remember Jason being a young, when, when, when he kind of like heard that, he says, well, what's pornography? And I was like, wow, what did I say to him? And I said, well, it's, it's magazines with pictures of naked women. Oh, ooh. And he was like, oh, that's terrible. And I said, I, I didn't even know how else to tell him. And that was when it was in a printed form. Now children much younger than him have already been introduced to it because it's digitized. And the biggest voices that should be against it is the voices of the people of God. That righteousness exalts a nation. Righteousness lifts up people. But sin condemns. Sin destroys and I've always said that the loudest voices that should be against that are the voices of women because they're framed in a certain way through that, through that sin, through that enslavement that's happening. And, and, and I know that people have been enslaved, and, and I've heard their testimonies, and I'm, I'm kind of an accountability person for someone who I get a report on what's on. He doesn't live here. He lives in another state, but he asked me, can you be my accountability partner with Covenant Eyes? And I never heard of it, but I get a report every Sunday. It tracks all of his devices, and, and he's doing really well, but he had to have some kind of means of accountability to break this sin off his life. Don't you believe with me that God needs to break sin off of our life? To break it, not just those sins, but other things, whether it's revenge or anger or unforgiveness, these are just as deadly as anything else. It, it enslaves us. I want our praise team to come up, and I don't know, I just feel like that God is calling us to repentance. And He's calling me to repentance, and He's calling me to Say, you are responsible behind that pulpit to preach the truth and to preach the whole truth and all the truth and to not let things pass that's in our culture that is enslaving people and is dangerous. And, and the challenge is today, God created, God created us to worship Him, but God created Adam and Eve to form a covenant relationship and build a family that way. And that's the only family that is the way of righteousness, is Adam and Eve, and, and he created them for each other in a covenant relationship. And in our day and time, I would just believe that we need to be able to lift our voices and say, the righteousness of God needs to prevail in our culture. But it needs to prevail in us. 
It needs to prevail in our minds, in our hearts. There's a little song we used to sing between Sunday school and church when I was growing up in a little dinky church in Childersburg. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. There's a Father up above who is looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Those songs, those words, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry for missing you. I'm sorry for not trusting you. I'm sorry for not listening to your heart. We're sorry, Lord, for the moments that we have failed to live out your purpose. We're sorry, Lord, for the distractions that pull us away from just sitting in your presence and loving you. The healing that we need, the healing in this room of our souls, Lord, that you peel away the heaviness off of us. Peel away the despair, O oh Lord, and refresh us in your goodness. Refresh us in your love. Would you stand with me and this altar is open for you to just come and spend some time, spend a few minutes or kneel where you're at or just sit where you're at if that's how you want to or stand. However it works for you, I want, I want us just to have some moments with him. Heal us, Lord. Heal us, renew us. Pour your life into us, Jesus. Jesus.